0: Welcome to this week's episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together, the podcast for entrepreneurs interested in fast growth and funding, powered by EHE Capital. Hi and welcome to another episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together and today Guy and Gary are lucky enough to be joined by Bridget Greenwood and Amber Gadar of the £200 billion club and today Amber and Bridget are here to talk to us about how investing in women can add £200 billion to the UK economy so we're really excited for today's episode and I'm going to hand over to Guy who's going to get things started.
1: I think my bits. Hello everyone by the way, how are we? Hello
0: Guy, we're very good and yourself?
1: Yeah, all good, all good. Thank you. Well, it's great to have uh, you guys uh, on on this podcast, and it's a subject I know that you hold dear to your heart, as as George introduced uh, the podcast. How investing in women can add two hundred billion to the UK economy. You guys are members of the two hundred billion club, which I don't think is a coincidence, given the title of the podcast. I think the best thing to to happen now is for me to hand over to you guys to introduce yourself, and let's get the conversation going.
0: Certainly. So I'm Bridget Greenwood, and uh, Amber is my co-founder. And we met in March last year, one of the last events before the lockdown happened. The event was bringing in a whole bunch of investors who had their funds open, whose checkbooks, and who are interested in investing in female-led startups. And I came to that because I, the founder of something called The Bigger Pie and is there to support women in emerging tech, particularly in blockchain, it's been my experience, through a lived experience and through to research, that we just need to do more to be able to attract and retain women in tech sectors, and it seems to go across many sectors. And a huge part of that is being able to invest in female-led startups. So we did the event in March, and that was open to all female founders. And we had great success, but great learnings from it as well. And one of those was it's just not about getting the women in front of the investors. But it's also making sure that they are pitch ready to do so, whether that's going to be for equity investment or for debt funding, etc. So that's where I had the opportunity to meet the incredible Amber. Yes, indeed. Bridget, thank you for the uh,
2: kind introduction. And uh, yes, so uh, as you correctly highlighted, we met at this event uh, at the time I was uh, raising funds for for my startup. And uh, we had just had a, a term sheet pulled out because of COVID. And I was looking at other methods of uh, of raising funds, and we met at the event that uh, that you organized. And then throughout 2020, we're very lucky to raise enough funds to take our company public in in, in one year. And so I sat down, and when you and I we had a conversation, and we realized that it's actually very complicated and very difficult, and sometimes, almost of the time, c- quite unfair. The VC uh, funding space, and uh, even like the angel investors uh, funding space, with uh, with regards to women, and we sat down and had some thoughts about what are the drivers that actually make women less investables than men. Yeah. So we spoke with. Sorry, that was my cat. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So uh, we we try to understand how VCs and how investors in general look for deals, and we were able to determine that there were four main steps. So the first one is the deal flow. The second one is the pitch the third one is the due diligence and the last one is well the closing of the deal and on step 3 and 4 which are the due diligence and the deal closing usually there is quite little bias and most of the bias occurs in phase 1 which is the deal flow and in phase 2 which is uh, which is the pitch so in terms of deal flow usually data shows that 82% of startups that arrives to the investment committee, i.e., the last stage of the closing of a round, the startup would arrive warm to the desk of the the VC, i.e. through an introduction. And as we know, women unfortunately have uh, smaller networks when it comes to finance, when it comes to to VCs than men. So it makes it harder for women entrepreneurs and women founders to have an indirect access or a warm uh, introduction to VCs. And then the second step is uh, the, the pitch step, where there's a lot of unconscious bias in terms of well uh, pitching, in terms of presenting, in terms of physiognomy and well there's a lot a a lot of variables that uh, Bridget do you want us to go uh, to go through the various uh, points or uh,
0: shall we keep it mysterious? (laughs) We can keep it mysterious at this point and dive into it a bit deeper and the problem that we've got as well is so female uh, founders got a whopping record-breaking 2.8% of VC funding globally at their peak, and that was just before the pandemic. And then that has dropped significantly to 2.3%. So the share of the funding has dropped dramatically as a result of COVID. And it is down to, you know as, as Amber said, it's down to your network. So the investors themselves chose to, rather than investing in something new and something unknown to double down the investments that they already had, which meant that female and diverse founders were left out in the cold once again. And if we look at the, just looking at how the traditional sectors will, the funding sector will change, it's going to take hundreds of years. So we need to be able to be much more proactive about how we do this. And it's really interesting because it has to be systemic bias that is leading us to make these decisions. And systemic bias is quite difficult for people to recognise when they're in it. So it's not as if we necessarily believe that everyone is actively withholding money from women, but there are systemic biases that we need to educate people about and we need to be able to do something about. One of the issues that we've got is we don't have enough investment from women. So if you look at the VC landscape as well, Although in the junior positions you're seeing more uh, women come into the sector, the senior positions are the, are the real decision-making decisions. We still got a weighted amount of men at the top, and then there's been research done. So one, as Amber said, it's the deal flow. It's how do you get in front of the investor in the first place, and that is having the right network. And when it's an all-male, largely all-male network, it, that means that you know it is it is biased towards the men's favour. And the second one is as Amber said, and we can talk a bit more about, is what you do when you're in front of an investor? And the bias comes from investors full stop, whether they're female or male, by the way. It's just, as we said, systemic bias. So this is kind of how we are. Across every field, women are treated based on their experiences and men are treated based on their potential. So when you're in a pitching process, that bias tends to fall out and it means that men are asked promotional questions. It's more about what are you going to do when you achieve this goal? Whereas women, it's much more of a case of how are you going to do it? Justify, please, with us how you're going to make this. Which also leads on to a difference in between an investor choosing if they're looking at potentially they might have seen a, a, a female pitch or a pitch from a female founder and a pitch from a male founder. But the woman would use far more statistics. She'll be much more Evidence based in her pitching, whereas a man will stand up and share a grand vision. And this grand vision is more intoxicating for the investors to, to look at and see oh, here's a chance for something special, which we can see clearly that there's a flaw in that decision making. So women tend to be called having a gender confidence gap, but I think that's a misunderstanding. I think if one has a much more realistic view of what they will achieve and do achieve, and the other one has a luxury of people investing in their potential and therefore can paint a big story.
3: Picking up on that, Bridget, so I, I'm, I'm quite a practical person. So when a woman is pitching, they won't look at the vision and potential. They tend to say, well, when have you done this before? What's your experience, et cetera? Is that, is that There's right? There's much
0: more justification of what you, how Justi- you're going to achieve it, yes.
3: Yeah, I can see that, actually. I can see that. Quiky, pitching is hard enough as it is.
0: So there was a study done in 2014, and they had, in the same way that we've heard of the studies done when a a CV is put forward for a job, right? CV is exactly the same, just change the name to be clearly identified as a male or clearly identified as a woman. Man gets through, woman doesn't. Same with the pitching. In 2014, they did that. So they had the same content in the pitch deck, the same storyline. One was delivered by a man, one was delivered by a woman. One got funding, the other one didn't.
3: Wow. Quacky. So I suppose the logical step is quite, what do we do?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Even a little bit more, just like digging a little bit more into this, in order to understand where this unconscious bias comes from, you know, like speaks to like. In our subconscious, there's a stereotype of what a leader should look like. And when you look at... Uh, so we ran a study in, uh, I think it was late uh, 2018, with a small small number of participants. It was, I think, 55 or something like that, where we showed them a picture of a gentleman that looks... Well, it was a drawing of a gentleman that looks like uh, Bill Gates. So tall, skinny, uh, badly dressed, with glasses. <laughs> and we showed them the picture of his a female equivalent. And then we, we were asking them, can you, can you decide or can you tell us who do you think this person is? So you had two options that I remember. Is that one was tech company CEO and the second one was science teacher. So for the male that looked like Bill Gates, most of the participants said that, well, tech company CEO. But for the female, the majority of the response, 90% of the response was science teacher. And then the same thing with politicians. So we showed two profiles, one that looked sort of looked like Margaret Thatcher and the other one that looked like uh, Winston Churchill. So both of them short, little bit fat, uh, with glasses, male and female in, in their 50s. And for the male, it came out as politician. And for the female, it came out as, guess what, librarian. So if we don't have oh, wow. enough people that shows us what leadership should look like, it will be very difficult for, uh, I would say, investor or anyone else to be able to project a, a leadership title on, uh, on, on on female founders. And then there's a, another aspect which has to do uh, with power and leadership. There are usually two styles of leaderships. Uh, One is more circular style of leadership, where it's more transformational, cooperative, and uh, with a preference to flat structures. And the other one is more pyramidal, which is more transactional, more competitive, with a preference to uh, hierarchical structures. And as you can guess, most males fall into the pyramidal uh, structures. And most female falls into the circular structure. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have male that have a circular style of leadership and female that have a a pyramidal style of leadership. But what happens is that in this world, or at least until maybe 10, 20 years ago, most of business leaders were male. And for female to enter into this space, they had to be Pyramidal style leaders, not circular style leaders. So we very little had uh, exposure to circular type leaders. So when you see someone who project a circular type of leadership, you would not consider him fit for the job because you're just not used to it and you've never seen much of this, uh, of this representation. And uh, on, on this point, Bridget and I, we, we don't necessarily agree, but I'm a proponent of actually pushing females or pushing women to uh, change certain behaviors, especially when they are, uh, when they are pitching, uh, because it's easier. It's easier just to adapt uh, if you want to get the funds, because at the end of the game, you need the money to create your business no money no business so sometimes you should just you know put your head down accept what the rules are and adapt adapt to the rules and this is part of the training that uh, that we're giving in the in the pitching sessions that we're making with the 200 uh, billion club is teach women how to interact with investors and teach women what investors usually would expect of of a female leader or of a of a female of a female founder you can jump on this Bridget I know I know you don't
0: think
3: <laughs> I, I quite like that I, I think that's a you know understanding the rules of engagement and and adapting to to get the result isn't it really?
0: So I, I believe in getting the result 100%, but I don't think that we should do it blindly because the relationship with the investor only starts once you get the investment. So if you're portrayed one type of leadership and they bought into that, then you have to have a long term relationship where you cannot be yourself and the, and the vision and the leader and the founder of the company that you had, had got you to the point that you were then I think that it can be potential conflict. And there is the stereotype because we have had one type of leader dominate so much. I agree with Amber 100% that being able to recognise a different types of leadership when they're hidden is not so easy. But we have something like capital, for example, as a fund. So... Traditionally, funds are investing for capital growth and their main driver is profit, whereas capital Capital had 102 companies and they were invested in things that were addressing educational inequity, climate change, quality job creation for formerly incarcerated people, alternatives to predatory loans and other critical interventions made to be able to help society. And they were in the top quartile. They were outperforming most of the purely profit-driven investments so i think that what we our best approach and you asked the question early on actually guys what can we do there are a number of things that we need to do one is to make sure that we can open up the network for female founders so we can immediately get rid of the problem of how do you get women in the door to be able to get to pitch to begin with the second one is to be able to prepare these women as much as possible so that they understand, as you guys have spoken to us before about, it's difficult enough pitching no matter who you are. You've got to learn the language. You've got to understand what needs to be in your pitch deck. You've got to understand what your due diligence room looks like. You've got to understand how to recognise what question is being asked. And if you're being asked and a woman, being asked a preventative question, how do you turn that around and put it a promotive answer? So you've got six times more chance of getting funding and six times more funding. So we're really looking at those two areas uh, in in order to be able to help address equity for VC funding when it comes to female founders. But we also need to be able to look at how do we get more female VCs and how do we get more women being able to decide where the funding goes.
1: I think also you know the the thing that struck kind of Gary and I when we spoke. Uh, the first time was that we could just see the opportunity uh, as a, as investors that, that you know there's some great female leaders out there that perhaps are struggling to get uh, investment and will do brilliant things in in whatever area they specialise in and they just need the opportunity and the backing. So we kind of saw that as a really an underserved market, if you like, that we could pr- probably support and help.
0: Yeah. So I recently heard a phrase called underestimated communities. And that's it. So one of the things we haven't mentioned, and thank you for raising it—is because I just assume it, right, <laughs> is that of course you want to invest in female-led founders. Um, all, of the, all of the stats turn around and show that if you do so, you're going to return more profits. Now, if we had equity and parity across both genders, I'm sure that wouldn't be the case because more women would get through, but it would raise the bar. For everyone. But at the moment, if you're investing in female led businesses, then data shows that you're going to get higher returns and higher profits. So, why aren't we doing that? And interestingly, those funds that choose to invest in the startups based on data and who remove the pitch process have a much more equitable funding of. Female-led startups to male-led startups, which clearly shows that as soon as you bring people into the equation, that bias checks in. So yes. these want the best outcome as well.
3: Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting stat actually, and that, that goes to my mind guide in terms of of how we can put that together really. So you just don't know; it's just data driven rather than you don't know who the leader is. But what what sex that leader is as they come into our situation. It's a bit like the mass
1: singer, isn't it? You know, where you don't
3: know who the singer is and you've got to
1: guess. <laughs> Bridget or Amber, whoever wants to, to do this, it might be worth just in the final few minutes, just talking about the, the 200 billion club and what you're trying to achieve there,
0: if that's okay. So, yeah, but so the, the 200 billion club is focused on UK based startups that are female led. And what we're looking to do is to be able to bring these investable businesses into our accelerator program. Which is 12 weeks. And in that 12 weeks, help the founders to shape their pitch to make sure that they've got everything ready so that they can best represent their business to the right investors with the right information, the right story presented in the right way, including how they show up, as well as the information that's in there. And at the end of that, look for increasing the successful matching of investors to the founders. I think one
2: of the uh, well different steps that that we have taken versus other accelerators is that the VCs and the investors that we're speaking to have told us that th- their books are open. So the idea is, you get to pitch day, you are fully prepared to go there and raise the money you need. Uh, you need for uh, for your company, and also another important point. Versus all of these, you know, ventures to. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur myself, and one of the things that I really didn't like was giving my equity at every, every uh, accelerator and incubator uh, I, I was at. So we made sure that we're not taking any equity, any equities, and we're only taking a very small fees on fund uh, raised if the funds are raised.
1: Brilliant, really interesting stuff, and you know, I think it's kind of our intention to uh, include. Bridget and Amber in some future podcasts, as well as some of the, uh, the members of the 200 billion club, mm-hmm. because I think it'd be really interesting to hear some stories. I mean, Amber, I know a little bit about your story, but I'd certainly love to hear about, you know, the, you know, the, I know you're in the blockchain kind of community and sector. It'd be great to hear your story. Same with you, Bridget, and, you know, maybe some of the other amazing founders that you guys uh, have met over the, the past few months in, uh, in, in putting this 200 billion club together. So yeah, is there any any kind of closing remarks everyone would like to 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 say before we we hit the the pause button
0: uh the only thing if it's all right to add is that we now have the waitlist open, so if uh, those female founders would like to sort of register their interest, if we can share that link with you when you send it out to the podcast, that would be great. And thank you so much for having us.
1: Hey listen no, thank you for 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 joining us. It's been uh. Well, you know, when we f- spoke to you the first time, it was inspirational and uh, exactly the same again. So, uh, yeah, appreciate uh, your time, Bridget and Amber. Thank you very much. George, you. if you want to close up. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you all for an excellent show. Thank you, Bridget and Amber. Fascinating listening to you both. And where can people find you in the meantime? I know we're going to put that link to the waitlist in the show notes, but is there an email or a website that people can go to? Certainly, it's wwwthe 200 enclub And if you put Bridget at for the email or Amber at for the email, you can get hold of us that way and you'll find us both on LinkedIn. Perfect. Thank you all very much. We'll be back next week. Thank you. Thank you you for listening to this episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together. Visit the EHE Capital website, ehe.capital for further insights and to join the EHE community.